You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 500 episodes ago, the beginning of the Locked On Kings podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Then it was just a little wee network, and Jason Ross was the one that got everything going here on Locked On Kings. Now, 500 episodes later, Matt George has ruined it. Hello, welcome in to the Locked On Kings podcast, everybody. Thank you to each and every single one of you that has been a part of these 500 episodes, whether you've been here for episode one all the way to today. If this is your first one, either way, we appreciate you all the same here on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is your hub for Sacramento Kings coverage each and every single weekday. If you're looking for highlights, interviews, in-depth analysis, conversation, all of that, we have it right here for you on Locked On Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the still-growing Locked On Podcast Network, where you can check out plenty of fantastic coverage, not just for the Sacramento Kings, but for all of the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, fantasy sports, college. We have it all for you. If you call yourself a sports fan, this is the place for you. Like I mentioned, 500 episodes of the Locked On Kings podcast, which is incredible. I cannot say that I've been here for all 500. That's because I I had the torch passed on to me by one Jason Ross, who is a co-worker of mine. My name is Matt George, by the way, from Sports 1140 KHDK. as the flagship radio station of the Sacramento Kings here in the California capital. I work there as an on-air host and multimedia journalist, and I work with one Jason Ross, who is the host or one of the hosts of the Lowdown. You also hear him working with the G-Man Gary Gerald and every single Sacramento Kings radio broadcast and he started this podcast and he's here to join me for episode 500 jason welcome back 500 episodes already seems like just yesterday when you got this thing started yeah it's pretty amazing that how far it's gone and um it's it's exciting that it's still going thank you for keeping it going and i know it all was kind of started from david Locke was the the brain trust to get it going but here we are, 500 episodes later. It's pretty cool. So can you share with us just how Locke approached you with this entire thing and how everything got started, where the podcast was at? And I'm not sure if you remember, but what the first episode was, where the Kings were at. Yeah, um, how it started was I actually knew David, and I called him because I had seen him doing he, – he's very forward-thinking, has always done uh, different things outside of his radio career and, and – um, was doing different things social media-wise. I knew he was doing Locked On uh, NBA and Locked On Jazz. And I was thinking of doing something similar with Sacramento State football. So I called him, and he said, you, you can't believe your timing. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, I actually was just about to give you a call because I want to expand Locked On NBA and, and get someone in each market. Would you be interested? And I thought, well, sure, absolutely. Let, you know, What does it mean? What do we do? So after we talked a couple different times, and then it, this would have been summertime, so we were a few weeks away from kind of getting closer to the start of the season, and then it was it was time to go. And basically, if I, I think you're asking if what was the first episode, I think the first one was basically just a generic preview of, I think at that time, whether it was point guards or centers, as the season was just about to begin for the Kings. So um, long time ago, but not that long. It, it does go fast. And it's been an incredible ride to be able to. I, I started listening to the Locked On Kings podcast when you were hosting it, and then when you asked me uh, around this time last year, actually, uh, to uh, to take it over, I, w- I was certainly honored uh, to be able to do that. And at this time last year, uh, Jason, we were talking about a, a Sacramento Kings team that was entering into December uh, that was just trying to figure some things out. They were still very fresh off of the. It was really their first season uh, since the the uh, the trade of Demarcus Cousins and De'Aaron Fox was still kind of. 
learning the ropes. It was around this time where he first started getting his his actual first couple of, of starts of the season. So from where the Kings are at at that point uh, to where they are to uh, where they are at today, do you remember? What happened most recently when you passed on the torture? Your your final episode uh, that you did, where the Sacramento Kings were at specifically? Yeah, I think last year it just everything was was more. Um, well, one, I don't think there was entertaining. I think they were going through a, a transition of trying to grow young players, implementing the veterans to teach and to grow. And I know a lot of people at that time were wondering when the young guys were going to play more minutes. You mentioned, Matt, like that's when De'Aaron started to play more, and also moving George Hill eventually, which they did closer to the trade deadline, opened up some things there. But it was it, it feels like they're in such a better place now from where they were then, where it was harder to win. They had a lot of blowouts. I didn't think there was entertaining um, and just didn't really – they lacked an identity, and I think that's what they've done best this year is find a way to play and a style that fits them well. I remember one of the one of the first episodes that I did uh, here on Locked On Kings. I did it with Charles, and, and one of the things we were discussing was what many have discussed really all the way through this summer, even up to this point, and that's head coach Dave Yeager's rotations. Now we know with the the drama that's happening currently that Dave Yeager's become a little bit more popular amongst mm-hmm. Kings fans, uh, especially with the fact that the Kings are off to this eleven and eleven start. But we were talking about. If Buddy Heald was playing enough, if De'Aaron Fox is ready to have bulk minutes since you want him to be his star, why is George Hill playing this much? Why is uh, Zach Randolph playing this much? Uh, And what's interesting is that Dave Yeager is somewhat being proven to be a a bit of a genius by by holding back on De'Aaron and holding back on Buddy Heald a little bit. Buddy actually started, if you remember, last season, got off to the slow start, spent the majority of the time coming off the bench. He's now a consistent everyday starter for them uh, them this season. He's one of the leading scorers on the team. He's had a couple rocky games where he shot himself out uh, in in the first quarter, but for the most part, he seemed to have gotten over that hump of, of a slow starting our uh, slow shooting start as a part of that starting lineup. But De'Aaron Fox, the growth from last year uh, to this year is extremely eye-opening. And now we talk about the minutes distribution for Marvin Bagley. Why isn't Marvin Bagley starting? Well, maybe it's, are we doing the same thing all over again? Is Marvin Bagley going to be making that kind of leap? I would go as far as to say, and I don't know if you agree with me, Jason, Marvin Bagley is having a better rookie season to this point than De'Aaron Fox had last year. He looks more comfortable. He's putting up better numbers. If Dave Yeager's, formula stays true sky's the limit for Marvin next season yeah I have I've way less of an issue with this year's minutes I think it's been distributed well I think the results are, are showing um, people might argue that Marvin should play more but I don't think it's a ton more I think I think the minutes are fine my only and it's small my I just feel Yogi Farrell can play yes but then when I think about it I okay now let me try to be the coach of the team where where would I play him I mean okay De'Aaron needs to be on the floor. Buddy needs to be on the floor. Bogey needs to be on the floor. Man. All right, there's, but I think there's somewhere, and I don't know where, but that that's about my only thing. I think I think he's done a really good job with the minutes. I think the rotation's generally pretty clear. I don't think I don't think there's um, times where – I think last year there were some times where, wait, that guy just started, and then now he hasn't played for three games. I think there was a lot of that going on. I think now it's, it's a clearer group, a clearer identity. If guys are in foul trouble or an injury, small injury here or there – that's one thing, but I, I think it's much clearer the rotation this year. 
you and I have had a lot of conversations on and off the air about what it takes to be a successful head coach in the NBA. X's and O's are important, and one of the biggest uh, uh, feathers in the hat of Dave Yeager has been, for for a long time, how well he executes and draws up plays out of timeouts and, and on inbound situations, especially late. Uh, we saw the Kings beat the Indiana Pacers on an inbound play. I don't know if that went exactly mm-hmm. as planned with the Willie Cauley-Stein tip slam. De'Aaron Fox did get a good-looking shot that he's hit and clutch before, um, but... Another element that you and I always discuss of the NBA coach today and what's super important is managing personalities. And I think that's one area that Dave Yeager has been exceptional at, especially this season with the fact that, you know, Costa Kufos is playing very limited minutes. He's still a very uh, impactful big uh, that can play a lot, but he's he's worked his way in now. Also been battling through injuries, so we have to take that into account. But the biggest name that I can bring up is Zach Randolph, who hasn't played a single second this season, is capable of playing, was one of the Kings' best players, at least statistically, uh, last year, he knows he has more in the tank, but Dave Yeager has said that he had a conversation with Randolph and said, I need you to be a pro. This is what we're trying to do here. It's nothing against you. I know you can play. I want you to play, but this is what we're trying to do here. And Zach Randolph seems to have, have handled it and taken it in stride. I think Dave Yeager deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I agree. And I think most players, most athletes will say they want to play every minute of every game, but when they're not, they want to know why. And if Yeager was up front and honest, hey, I think you have to accept it. It may not be easy, but then you understand it. At least you understand where the organization is coming from. So I think he's good at that. I think the players like him. I think they buy in. I think they play for him. I think that's important, and I think this team competes. They take, they've take they taken on his identity on that as far as wanting a team to just be relentless and keep playing and keep fighting. And I think he deserves credit for basically changing the style. I, I mean, I know he was kind of the grit and grind with Memphis, feeling like more of a defensive slowdown coach, but now there's fast pace and it fits the personnel so well between Buddy and Willie and certainly De'Aaron Fox and and he's adjusted. So I know there's times where you've heard him in the postgame. I know he's cringing on like people ask him about the defense and they win 131 to 126. And he's like, eh, yeah, it was, it was there. I mean, I think he'd like better defense. But he knows that this best fits the offense for these young guys. And the final thing that I appreciate the most about Dave Yeager, and and, and some fans don't like it, and for some of them it's hard to hear, but he shoots very straight from the Mm -hmm. hip. He plays his cards close to his chest in terms of of lineups and stuff, and that's something that I've actually grown to respect about Yeager, been involved in a lot of press conferences, asking him questions, and how he plays so coy and and, and close uh, uh, to the chest, like I said. I mean, it's, it's just part of who he is and part of his coaching style. Uh, but he always shoots straight, and he's always told fans and, and told the media what what the truth was, that they were still years away, that things were going to take time. I remember on opening night, he was talking about, before the game against the Utah Jazz, saying, yeah, we want to get out and we want to run, but in the half-court offensive set, we have about 20% of our playbook mm-hmm. memorized or in our head or, or, or down pat. So it's still a work in progress. And he's been very open about, since the DeMarcus Cousins trade, this was going to take two to three years. This was, And even today, we're still growing, we're still learning, this is still going to take a year. We're, we like where we're at, but we know we still have a long way to go. I really appreciate how up front and honest Dave Yeager has been to where none of this has really caught anybody by surprise. Yeah, and I think if you're doing that to the media and you're doing that to your players, then that's, you know, he's transparent. He's letting everybody know what he thinks about the team, what uh, he he was vocal, obviously, about what he felt about the situation that uh, front office and him have been in. So, you know, I think he's going to approach it that way, and he's got respect around the league and certainly from his players, which is important.
So the Sacramento Kings fell below 500 for the first time in quite a while, which sounds weird and fun for me to be able to say, but they lost to the the first uh, place Los Angeles Clippers. And the Clippers, I was dead wrong about, Jason. Before we talk about this Indiana Pacers game, I want to ask you about the uh, the Clippers from your standpoint, because coming into this season, I thought, okay, this is the final year before the eventual parting from Doc Rivers or some kind of rebuild or something was going to happen there because Lou Williams is the centerpiece. Now, I love Lou, but I didn't think that they didn't have a star there, a clear uh, identifiable star. But now they have just a bunch of players that play solid and play well together. So they deserve to be at the top um, of the of the Western Conference as of right now. I don't know how much that will hold, uh, but I, I appreciated what the Kings did in that game, falling down by 18 early, battling back, making it a game, and then the Clippers being the better team just put it away uh, in the fourth quarter. But what is it about this Clippers team uh, that you that you see that you like, and are there lessons you think the Kings can learn from a team like the Clippers that don't have that established star yet? Yeah, I think there, there's some mirror uh, images there that the Kings could, could uh, model themselves after. The one thing they can't model themselves after from the Clippers Clippers are bigger at every position than Sacramento and it was noticeable that you know Tobias Harris who I'm a big fan of and Iman Shumpert's a pretty good defender Shumpert about 6'6 Harris 6'9 well that that is a big difference and then you go across the board and you just go man Gortat's bigger than Willie and 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 stronger uh, Montrez Harrell comes off the bench and he's so physical I thought they were a combination of physical they played hard they played as a team, and then they were just big. They were big at every position. So I'm with you. I, I I thought, I don't know what to think of the Clippers, but seeing them in person, I was really impressed. And I think they've got a good coach. Mm-hmm. They they believe in each other. And I also know that they are they have an owner that will spend money. I think they're going to go for it. I think they can sign Tobias Harris and still go after two max players. So um, this year is, is building that credibility to get the eyes open of, a Kawhi Leonard or, or Kevin Durant or whoever, I think they're going to go after the biggest names and see if they can land somebody. And one of the more underrated elements of their game that's extremely important that I noticed almost immediately is Gortat sets, in my opinion, probably the best screens in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He's just such a big guy. And every time Avery Bradley, Lou Williams, Gildress Alexander, every single time one of these guys came off of a, uh, one of his picks, they had enough room to either put, a, put up a shot or at least start to attack the mm-hmm. lane. Lou Williams has cashed in so much alone on the uh, the pick set by Gortat. And since the Kings like to play in the pick and roll, now they play more of an athletic style of pick and roll of the roller rolls hard and trying to lob something up for Cauley Stein or Marvin Bagley. But if you could get a Willie Cauley Stein or get a Marvin Bagley, we saw a little bit of it in Costa Kufos being able to set those hard picks to where De'Aaron gets that space or Buddy gets that space or Bogey gets that space. That's an element of the Kings game I think can improve and help them out offensively, especially in the half court. Yeah, and when you look at what the when the Clippers made the trade, just go off name value and sometimes stats. Austin Rivers, I thought he did some good things for them. Gortat feels like he's at the end of his run here. I'm not sure about this trade, but then you see it put in place and it makes some sense. And you're right. Like I, I think the Kings, I mean, I think Costa's role with this team is still underappreciated. I know they're better defensively when he's there. Certainly the screens you're talking about, I think they can run some things better, but that's where the catch is. It's, you know, ideally I think Costa can help them win games, but should Bagley, should Giles, should Willie, you know that that's a tough one. I mean, honestly, that's a tough one. I think some of their defensive problems have been because to, because Costa's been off the floor. 
Costa did play in the Indiana Pacers game. Unfortunately, Marvin Bagley was out with that back injury. It seemed like the Kings were erring more on the side of caution mm-hmm. with Bagley, especially with these games that are coming up here on this four-game road trip. A lot of winnable games, and they'd certainly like to have Bagley there to give them the best opportunity to win. Bagley was competing in shoot-around before the game and pregame workouts and looked okay. Still a little bit ginger uh, with that back. So, uh, again, they erred on the side of caution, which I thought was was the smart move, the right move going forward. But we did get to see Costa, but we didn't get to see Harry Giles. So you're talking talking about that debate mm-hmm. of minutes distribution. Uh, but the Kings get right back at 500 with a big win over the Indiana Pacers. Now the Pacers were without Victor Oladipo. Without their star, the Kings being at home, it was a game I expected the Kings not necessarily to win because uh, they're still a young team trying to figure things out, but I, I expected them to be in it and be competitive. And it was sloppy. It was back and forth, but the Kings ended up winning by one point. Uh, what did you see from the Kings in that Indiana Pacers game? Uh, to me, my biggest t- takeaway was just the, the grit that they played with, and they stayed close. They had an opportunity to win. They gave themselves multiple opportunities to win at the end, and they cashed in on one when it mattered. Yeah, I I know Coach used the term relentless. He said we played relentless tonight, and I think he was right. I think um, you're right too, Matt, that the game, you know, it was intense. Nobody got larger lead than seven, but it was sloppy. There was a lot of mistakes on both teams' part, but for lack of a better term, and it may sound silly, the Kings really wanted to win. And I think they just were chasing the game all night long. And, and that desire to win isn't there for every team every night. It, it's, it, and it sounds cliche, but, you know, sometimes you go out there and you just play and you, the result is a win or a loss. But I felt like they were so determined. They'd lost three in a row. They didn't want this thing to continue to spiral. And that was great. They stayed with it and put themselves in a chance to win, weren't perfect, and that's the other thing I think I've learned about this team this year. I felt like last year to win, they had to be pretty close to on their game all four quarters. There was little margin of error. They weren't great. They turned the ball over a lot, had pockets of the game where they couldn't score or made some bad decisions, some bad defense, some poor offense. But when it mattered most, they played hard enough and found a way to win, which was great. And what I really appreciated was, especially in the fourth quarter down the stretch, it was their defense that really gave them that opportunity to win, forcing multiple turnovers from Darren Collison, uh, just really buckling down on the defensive end. I think they got, in seven of Indiana's last eight possessions, they resulted in stops, and not just that, an element of the game that I've been very frustrated with this year, that they've gotten better, at least over the last two games. After they got the stop, they secured the rebound. They mm-hmm. gave, they've been giving up way too many second chance opportunities, but they didn't give the opportunity to the Pacers to after the Boyan, uh, Bogdanovich shot. Uh, they didn't give him another look at the basket. Now the refs had a, a jump ball and then a lane crazy. violation, and the game ended about 16 times. But the Kings did what they had to do defensively to win that game. Everybody's going to talk about the Willie Cauley Stein offensive highlight that got them to win, but defensively, that's where I saw the most growth out of this team. Yeah, and that was the strongest. And I think, you know, um, I heard the other uh, one of your recent podcasts where Willie was talking about, you know, we got to defend somebody. We got to guard somebody one on one, our defense. And, and everybody was addressing that, De'Aaron and everybody. And I don't think it's there consistently, but in that stretch, it was. The last four and a half minutes, only one basket was made. Collison hit a straightaway three. They made it tough. Bogdanovich got a good look for the tie or for, yeah, for the lead, but missed. And in the end, they did play strong enough defense, created some havoc, and uh, did a good job. 
Over the last few games, somehow I've become the defender of Willie Cauley-Stein <laughs> on social media, and that's because it's not a character. I mean, Willie Cauley-Stein is someone that I genuinely believe in. From my interactions with him, speaking with him, watching him play, uh, I believe that he is a lot smarter than people give him credit for. Uh, I believe he is crucial to this team when he is on. This team tends to succeed. It's no surprise that the Kings got off to that hot start that they got to this season. And Willie Cauley-Stein's 11 of his first 12 games, he scored double digits. He was a big part of why they got off to that strong start. Everybody wants to talk about De'Aaron Fox, and rightfully so, Mm because he's the star and leader going forward. But Willie Cauley-Stein was just as instrumental to this team succeeding. He struggled as of late. His numbers have gone down over the most recent games, and fans are starting to get frustrated uh, with they're questioning his effort on the defensive end of the floor. I'm not excusing the effort at times. I want Willie to block more shots. I want him to pull down more rebounds. Now, rebounding has gotten better. He's gotten back-to-back double-doubles, but still the block shots aren't there. He's not as much of a rim protector as we expected him to be when the Kings drafted him in 2016, I believe, uh, out of Kentucky. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on Willie Cauley-Stein. He's become more of a scorer rather than a shot blocker. Are you okay with sacrificing the defense at the rim from the athletic player that Willie is? for the extra points that he provides. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody can be the perfect player. You look at some of the greatest Kings ever. I mean, DeMarcus was terrific everywhere, um, but he wasn't really a rim protector either. He was great at taking charges. Now, there are other things he could do, and there are other ways he made uh, impacts defensively. But, yeah, I mean, I get what people say about Willie, but you have to be who you are. And he'll get a block here and there, but he is not – that's not his strength. I think some of his strength can be his ability – to guard other positions and other guys on switches. But collectively, I still don't think the team is where it needs to be defensively and Willie the same in there. But by and large, I think Willie has improved. I think he's been good for this team. And I think we've seen stretches where take Willie out, and especially if Costa's out, where Bagley and Giles are playing together. And I think the defense, honestly, is really rough. So not that Willie's perfect, but um, he fits better. He fits really well with the style that they play. And if they were to lose Willie, like if Willie left after this year, they would have to really think long and hard about replacing him with somebody of his quality. Or actually one other way to do it is maybe put all your trust in Bagley but keep someone like Costa mm. just to have another. They're kind of light, and Willie's not the strongest guy, but he he's longer and taller then when they play some of these other bigs, I think it really shows up against Giles and, and Bagley. You mentioned putting all your faith in Bagley, and a lot of fans feel that he could be the guy to go and replace uh, Willie Cauley-Stein. They like what he brings as more of a consistent rebounder and shot blocker, and I'll admit that. I think Willie Cauley-Stein is less consistent than Marvin Bagley in terms of rebounding and shot blocking on a nightly basis, at least statistically, and per 36 minutes. Bagley has more of an, uh, an effort, a hustle, and intensity that you kind of expect out of a 16-year-old, mm-hmm. but you also, I'm sorry, 19-year-old, yeah. but you also expect out of a number two overall pick. Um, Willie's, in my opinion, and a lot of the big men have been blamed a lot for also the poor perimeter defense of the Sacramento Kings team. I think De'Aaron Fox, and now I'm as big of a Fox fan as everybody else, I think Fox has been dreadful defensively over the last couple weeks. He got embarrassed by Shea Gildress-Alexander. Uh, he had a tough time staying in front of Darren Collison. He's had a tough time staying in front of a lot of defenders. Now, I'm not saying that he is going to be a bad defender perpetually. He's still 20 years old and has to learn about where to put himself in the right situations. Uh, But fans are more willing to forgive that than they are to forgive Willie because they think with Willie it's a question of effort versus Fox. It's a question of of just basketball IQ and, and learning, and he still has to develop. Does that make sense to you, or do you 
are you feeling the same way that I'm feeling? Like, well, even so, Willie can't be held responsible for always being able to rotate and stop yeah. when Fox makes a mistake. Sure. I mean, it's never one guy, right? They need to do it collectively. And we we're just talking about the win against the Pacers. I felt like they were good defensively together as a team. Fox made some plays. Willie made some plays. So they all kind of have to do it to collectively. They all could be get better. And I also, I think I told you this off uh, air one time, one of our conversations it's just something I've noticed for years. The longest tenured king is the one that gets the most targets from fans. Yep. Um, there's still a new shine on Fox and on Bagley and on Giles and on what this team could be. Well, he's been here the longest, and it's not that long, but it happened to Richmond. It happened to Weber. Then it went to Bibby. Then it went to Kevin Martin. I mean, it ju- it's amazing. It Tyreek goes and Marcus Thornton. Cousins. I mean, yeah, it, it happens, and – um, when it doesn't go well, well, that's the one I want to blame. Like, and a lot of times it's the guy that doesn't play that's better, and and Willie's experiencing that. And but Willie, by and large, I think has been it's been pretty good. And I think I know you and I have talked about this before. Two people are asking about his consistency. I think he has been consistent. And when people say, well, he had the twenty and fourteen game. Well, if he does that every night, mm-hmm. he's an all star. And I don't think Willie's an all star. He's a good player, but I think his numbers are sixteen and eight. Yep. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, I dealt with uh, a lot following the Pacers game. Some on, on Twitter telling me that Willie Cauley-Stein had a horrific game. He had the dunk at the end, the play at the end, but he mm-hmm. still played horrible, and he wasn't happy, or, and fans weren't happy with his ultimate performance. And now he did turn the ball over a, a couple times, didn't finish it around the rim as clinical as he has been this yeah, season. especially early in the game. But Willie Cauley-Stein still finished with a double-double, a fantastic stat line, and a game winner. If that's at his worst, right. then you know, then what else do you want? That's what I'm willing to accept. Right. But, right. But, I mean, we're not enough just about Willie specifically, but as this team as a whole, you and I both tend to lean more on the optimistic mm-hmm. side. I'm actually not just leaning. I'm fully on the <laughs> optimistic side with this team, and I have been for a while, and, and I'm not saying that this team is proving me right. I don't think anybody could have predicted that they'd be 11-11 and 11 through a couple days in the month of December. It just feels so good from someone like yourself who's been covering this team for so long, watching so many games. You've been at every single, had to watch every single Kings game this season for work purposes. Uh, the fact that they are 11-11 playing at the uh, the tempo that they're playing and playing with the the speed and the fun and the flair, it's been overshadowed a little bit by recent drama. Uh, but you've got to be enjoying this team on a nightly basis. Yeah, I I'm definitely surprised because I I actually did put a number out. I thought they'd win 24 games, so I didn't. Have, and it wasn't necessarily a reflection of them. I thought they could be better. And some I think I posted that once, and someone said, "Well, how can they be better if they get only 24 wins?" And I said, "Well, West." Yeah, that was my problem. I said, you know, I just I don't know where the wins will come in in the West, and I think they could be a little bit more complete, a little more depth, maybe find a style that's fun. Well, all of that's been better, and I still think they're in the same problem. The West is terrific. It's mm-hmm. Phoenix and then everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, but they're doing great. They're doing their thing, and I, I look at just the way they've navigated the schedule. There are losses. There are more losses to come, but I don't feel like there's really been a game like, yeah, that was one I expected them to win, and they lost. Maybe – you could argue the home one against Utah without Donovan Mitchell. Um, I had this week wrong. I personally thought they would beat the Clippers and lose to the Pacers. Just when you, it's hard not to look ahead. But I thought, well, they've had a little bit of rest, kind of some off-court controversy. Clippers are playing the second out of a back-to-back. I think they'll beat the Clippers, but I think Indiana will be tough on Saturday. Well, they flipped that around, but that was good that they won a uh, split those. And then it's dangerous not to look ahead. I think there's some wins on the road trip, but. You also don't want to go, well, they'll beat Chicago. They'll beat Cleveland. They'll beat, um, you know, some of these teams on their schedule. 
you just don't know. The NBA, anybody can beat anybody. But I do like that they found an identity. They found a way to play. And if they keep doing this, yeah, they're going to keep winning. Well, they made it through that brutal 11-game streak, starting with uh, the the uh, Toronto Raptors at home and ending with the Los Angeles Clippers at home, able to go 4-7 and seven through that streak. Now, now, that doesn't sound very good in itself. They ended up 10-11 and 11 after getting through all of that. But I appreciated the fact that they did do what they needed to do early on against some of the weaker teams in the Eastern Conference to be able to put themselves in a position so that if they did struggle through that stretch, get, getting seven losses, in the end, they were still only just one game under 500. Then they get right back to it with a win over the East. And the Eastern Conference games against the East were a big area for me of where I was looking for improvement with mm-hmm. this team. And now they're going on another road trip here. It begins with the Phoenix Suns. And you mentioned the Phoenix Suns are a horrific team as of right now. They're the only team in the Western Conference that's bad, at least record-wise. However, they have a lot of talent on that team. They're, it's really a head-scratcher to me how they are that bad. And I think they match up well with the Kings. So I expect that to be a tough matchup happening here tomorrow. But then after that game, you have the Cleveland Cavaliers, you have the Chicago Bulls, and the Indiana Pacers again. This one in Indiana. Who knows if Oladipo will be back or not. These four games right here, it's easy to say, well, I expect three wins out of it because the Kings are 10-11 or 11-11. They have a better record. Uh, You can't take any of these teams for granted. But four very winnable games here. Good opportunity to get through the start of December and be right back over 500. Yeah, and I think, you know, when, like I said, you can't look at these and just assume three wins, two wins, whatever, four wins. But I'd rather go on this trip for the Kings than go to, you know, (laughs) Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, those kind of trips where you're like, well, that's as brutal as it gets. Just get one game. Right. And so this is a situation where – I mean, they just got to keep churning out the schedule and keep looking at it. And that six and three start was so big because you can afford a three game losing streak. And, you know, hopefully there's not too many more of those, but there'll maybe be a stretch where they win four or five. And if you're always at the 500 mark or even above, it just puts you in such a great spot. It gives, and I think you notice this, Matt, you, you go to all the locker room and all the games too, that I think they think they're good. Mm -hmm. And I think there's value in that where it's, Hey, cute story. Look at the Kings. I think they believe they're good, and I I think that's really important. Before we wrap up, I want to talk about a couple of the off-court things, starting with uh, this this drama that's been taking place amongst the front office, uh, frustrations with Dave Yeager, a clear rift now between Dave Yeager and Assistant General Manager Brandon Williams. And, and when I've approached this conversation now on my last podcast, uh, I, I vented a little bit yeah, because you did. of the frustration. I was afraid. Uh, I was, I was. This poor microphone, I screamed at it, maybe scared the microphone itself. Uh, I vented the frustrations of not just someone who covers this team, but a fan of this team, mm-hmm. someone who's watched this team. And finally, I recognize so many fans are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel but the Kings themselves are almost trying to brick it up or block it off, Um, at least some members of the front office. I feel for the players because they're trying to improve. I feel for Dave Yeager because they're making these leaps. They're moving in the right direction. In reality, he's checking every box that you wanted him to check in terms of developing a young team. He's doing it. We're seeing it right here with the fact that this team is 11-11, but we're talking about these off-court issues. We're talking about this this rift uh, that is forming in the front office. I'm not really going to put you on the spot and ask you for your opinions on the front office and Brandon Williams and anything like that. I just wanted to get your take 
on how you think the players are handling it and how you think head coach Dave Yeager is handling it. I thought this win against Indiana was huge to end that three-game losing streak. I think these games against winnable opponents on the road are big as well for this team to kind of escape Sacramento and escape that situation a little bit and maybe just get back uh, on the winning path. Uh, But how do you believe these players are handling this whole thing? I think they're doing fine. I think the one thing, I don't want to mean it as this cavalier where they don't care, but it's close to that, right? Because if it doesn't affect them, if it really on their day-to-day doesn't affect their head coach, at least to their mind, I think they're good. But what bothers them is they get asked about it because the last one was very public, was in the shoot-around, and people are going to ask, and then they'll choose to answer it any which way, but it becomes a thing that could be a little bit taxing on them. So I think they've done fine. On the other elements of it, um, it's hard not to think about the agendas here of what, why this happened I think about all the different layers. There's a hundred different ways this could go. So the first part happens, Matt, and then it's then Dave Yeager chose to make it another thing. Yeah. And I don't blame him for that, but he could have let it go. So it came back because Coach Yeager didn't want Brandon Williams in the shoot around. Okay. Well, I think that was calculated a little bit too. Maybe making a stand in front of the team, making making a stand in front of the organization. All of this stuff just makes you think about so many different things. Is this a big deal? Is this a small deal? It seems kind of a big deal to me, but can they go on? Can it still be successful? Is it going to you know, fall back into here go the Kings again, a front office mess? It's just unfortunate that all of us think about all those things because I feel like all, the, all of the scenarios are possible. It could just be a bump in the road and they move on. It could be really messy and awful and toxic. That's a big gap. I don't know. I think playing and winning helps all of that. But it's I'm with it's just kind of unfortunate. I don't feel like it needed to happen, but it did. And then why? Why is it still going? What are the agendas here? And I, I this stuff I just don't like. You know, they say or the saying is that winning cures all. However, Minnesota Timberwolves may recently have proven that that's not always the case with that whole Jimmy Butler saga that took place. But is it as simple as, in your opinion, if these Kings continue to win and continue to move at the pace that they're at, we'll start to forget that this took place? And and do you think this situation between Dave Yeager and certain members of the front office, Brandon Williams, or anybody that agrees with him, is repairable? Or do you think something has to happen or change in order for us to move out of this? Yeah, without being you know totally involved, I, I don't know how Yeager and Williams work well again together. I mean, that's my gut feeling. I don't, I don't know that. Maybe they have a conversation. Maybe it works fine. But if a coach thinks he was undercut by someone in the front office and then makes a public – or not public display, but a display in front of his team to get that front office member out of his shoot-around, I, I just – those are power trips by each guy. And I I don't know that, that those two on their relationship can be repaired to the way that they would want it to be. Maybe, but I wouldn't guess that it would. But I think as far as um, – coaching and still brand each guy still doing their job i think they can but um it's certainly not ideal one area that the sacramento kings could certainly improve and 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 help their uh relationship maybe between front office and head coach is going out and getting a player that both agree is is a potentially good fit and something that this team needs we've looked at and pointed to the hole at the small forward position for the kings in quite a while and the kings are Pretty much the only team in a very rare and powerful situation at the moment where they have a lot of room to be able to absorb a bad contract or two to help some of these teams out that are just staring at 
dollar signs and luxury tax. And there's no team in a worse situation right now than the Washington Wizards. They're losing. John Wall's contract is going to jump from $19 million this year to $38 million mm-hmm. next year. I had a conversation with James Hamm on game night before the Kings and Pacers game this weekend. And James told me, and you can read it all in his article that he put out, uh, James told me that six players already reached them at the salary cap. So... You have to fill out the rest of your roster. How are you going to do that? So they're desperately looking for cap relief or potentially could be desperately looking for cap relief. And there's a name on that Wizards team that the Kings were interested in. They were trying to go after in free agency. He was a restricted free agent. The Wizards matched, and here we are today. And that's Otto Porter. I'm curious your thoughts on if you think Otto Porter is a good target for the Kings to pursue and if you think he would be the right fit and the right kind of guy to plug in to this Kings team right now to help them maybe make an immediate jump and get that much better almost overnight. Yeah, I think he's a real interesting, I think fit's the right word. I think the fit might be ideal, actually, um, in the sense that he's young, he's is a small forward, he plays good defense, he can stretch the floor, and I don't think he has to be a volume shooter. Nope. But I also think he can have a better offensive performance here than he did in Washington where I don't know that he has to be the number one option, but I think it's like a lot of the Kings where, hey, buddy, he'll let him in scoring tonight. Now it's Bogey. Now it's Willie. Now it's Bagley. Now it's Fox. I think it could be Porter. And um, Shumpert did too. I mean, I think they're all capable on this roster, and I think he could fit that pretty well. I don't love his contract, but the Wizards would have already paid for one plus of it. Um, he fits the age. He kind of fits. He, he could grow with the group. I think there's a lot to like. I'm very leery, though, of what's going on in Washington. So I think it would be try to do as much evaluation of it, how I don't think he's much of the issue, but he's part of it. And then obviously it's what do you have to give up? And that to me is probably where the deal would make or break. Like if it seems like, oh, that's something the Kings can part with. Sure. But if not, I mean, you don't have to do the deal at all. So. Yeah. I'd be intrigued, though, definitely. Well, that's uh, something we're certainly going to keep an eye on. And if uh, we get closer to the trade deadline and talks heat up, we'll definitely be covering that here on the Locked on Kings podcast. Jason, thank you so much for joining and taking the time. 500 episodes, my friend. It's pretty uh, pretty crazy what a ride that we've already been on. It's, it seems like, like I said earlier, just yesterday that this podcast started. But uh, here we are, 500 episodes later. Yeah, it'll be 1,000 before you know. I mean, it goes fast. All of this goes fast. It's awesome. Davidson, great work. You've done great work keeping it going. And, um it's, it's really cool, and it's a good outlet. I was going to ask you this. I know that you did a fans-only recently. How about you? What's been your – do you have a favorite podcast you've had in your in your run at this yet? One of my favorite that I did, and I recognize – it was actually very early on, but it was after Yorgos Papianis was released and let go, and Yorgos Papianis's agent came on – or came – did some interview with some radio station somewhere and said that, Yorgis was never given a fair chance and basically gave this entire paragraph excuse uh, the, of why Yorgis, why his life was hard and why the Kings never gave him a chance. And one of my favorite lines from the whole thing is how difficult it was for him to go back and forth to Reno to play games and then have to practice with the team but never get on the uh, on the floor. And I went on a, a pretty substantial rant on the entire thing. You can check out the episode. It's still up. It's called uh, Yorgis Papianis's Agent Trashes the Kings. And I went on a pretty uh, long rant about how it must have been so difficult for him to drive to Reno and and then why he wasn't getting any playing time and how his numbers in G League were terrible compared to Scala, Sierra, and even Jakar Sampson, who are Mm -hmm. outplaying him at the G League level. 
Uh, so not one of the brightest moments of Vlade's drafting uh, portfolio in his career uh, with Jorgis Papianis, but that was a fun episode for me to be able to spread my wings a little bit and and, uh, and rip into a player that I didn't think had a shot in the NBA really to begin with. Uh, so that was probably the favorite episode that I've ever done. But the two fans only podcasts that I've done as well, being able to speak to, and I've always said that this plat or this podcast was not just yourself or me just speaking and and all the little kings peasant fans listen <laughs> it's it's this is just as much their platform as it is mine so be able to invite them on and and to get emails and to get uh, tweets and texts from Kings fans, not just all over California, but all over the country and all over the world. We have listeners from Australia, Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's incredible uh, how many people listen to this podcast and use it as their uh, their Kings Daily News. I know that's something you felt from when you would do your mailbags and things yeah. like that. Uh, so being able to do fans only and have those people on here and to be able to just sit back and listen to them talk and share their thoughts and share their opinions, it reminds me of... Yes, I get to do what I get to do, and yes, I get to cover this Kings team, which is fantastic, but I started the same way everybody else did. Just as a fan of this team, I grew up with Bibby and Weber and Peja and the guys that I get to work with and cover now. Uh, so it, it's it's humbling, and it's certainly a, a good reminder, and this platform is better than I think any other, really, to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So That's cool. It's been a fun ride. Uh, thank you so much for, again, passing the torch on to me and for, for joining me here today. I'm, I'm sure you're going to be back uh, with us in the very near future talking about this Kings team. And, and hopefully by the end of December, we're still talking about a 500 team. Then by the end of January, we're mm-hmm. still talking about a 500 team. And all of a sudden, we can bring up the P word. And uh, who knows? I mean, who knows where this team's going, but I'm just enjoying every single day of it. Uh, so thank you again, Jason, for taking the time and for coming on. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.